I'd like to start with a poem by Emily Dickinson. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies, too bright for our infirm delight, the truth superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually, or every man be blind. The truth must dazzle gradually, or every man or woman or child would be blind. This poem by Emily Dickinson is something we would do well to remember during this sermon series on the parables of Jesus. Because when Jesus sought to teach us the truth, to show us the way, he didn't give long lectures with bullet points or just tell it like it is. Jesus loved to tell the truth slant. And his favorite way to dazzle us gradually with the truth was through the medium of stories. Jesus loved to tell stories, which was a brilliant strategy, really, because stories grab hold of us and stick with us long after all the facts and the figures have gone. I can preach a sermon that is really, really good, that makes deep theological points, or at least points that I think are deep and theological, and I stand there and I shake your hand, and what you remember every week is the stories. And if I tell a story about myself or my family, that's definitely all that you remember. We are wired to grab onto, to hold onto story. Well, today's parable, the dishonest manager, is one of the more slanted and unfamiliar stories of Jesus, which is really interesting to me because in the Bible, it follows three of the most popular stories of Jesus. It follows the story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and about this wayward son who finds his way home. And it's within these familiar stories about God's propensity to seek out and save the lost, that Jesus tells this story about a manager who is praised by his master for his dishonest ways. Now, there are three main characters in the story we have to consider. There's the the community, the town, the people. There's the manager, and there's the master. The master was likely a wealthy landowner who rented land, leased land to tenants who would work the land and pay back the owner, the master, with produce. Well, this wealthy landowner hears a rumor that his manager, his accountant, his bookkeeper, is mismanaging, is squandering his property. We don't know how, but in some way he's not doing the job well. Concerned, as any business person would be, this master calls his manager in for a conference, and he confronts him on his accusation, on these accusations he's heard. What is this, he says, what is this that I hear about you? And in response to the accusation that he's been squandering the master's funds, the master's resources, the manager offers nothing in retort except crickets, silence. Instead of pleading with this master, instead of covering his tracks or blaming someone else in a culture where everything is bartered for, everything is negotiated, the manager in this story remains silent. Learning then that the rumors must be true, he fires him on the spot and demands that he go back and get the books. And it's on his way to go get the books and bring them back to his master 
that the manager in the story before us comes up with this elaborate scheme for which he will in time be praised. He's not strong enough to dig. He's too proud to beg. Sounds like a bad country song. (laughs) So he comes up with a plan, a scheme, that will ensure that after his firing becomes public, he'll be received into another's house, which means find another job as a manager again. As he faces the uncertainty of his situation, the ambiguity of what the life that lies before him, the manager formulates a plan to ensure his salvation. He formulates a way forward to ensure his salvation. So what's your plan? What's your strategy to remain relevant to those around you? What gambles have you made to guarantee your long-term viability should your fortunes, when your fortunes, shift and change? Perhaps you've made yourself indispensable to those around you. Not a bad strategy. Maybe you withhold knowledge that no one else knows to remain relevant and needed. Perhaps you invest money hand over foot to plan for the rainy day. Maybe you keep padding your resume with degrees and certifications to keep your options open. What is your plan to ensure that your life will have meaning and purpose when your fortunes change? Matt Wage had a plan. Matt was a top philosophy student at Princeton University who spent hours in school considering his own ethical obligations to the world he lived in. His senior thesis won a prize as the best paper in the philosophy department. He was accepted to Oxford University. His life was full of possibilities. A smart person who wanted to do good. To the shock of many, however, Matt, after graduation, instead of using his talents for the common good, he took a job at a trading firm on Wall Street. Now, one might think that his famous professor, Peter Singer, the moral philosopher, would have disowned him as a sellout for this decision, but instead, Singer praised Matt for his shrewdness, for his calculations. Matt made a calculated decision. He reasoned that if he took a high-paying job in finance on Wall Street, he could do more for the common good there than he ever could if he worked for a nonprofit or took a low-paying job and volunteered at a soup kitchen. Sure enough, that first year of employment, Matt gave away more than $100,000, roughly half of his pre-tax income. Now, one of the major charities Matt gives to is the Against Malaria Foundation. This foundation saves children's lives from malaria around the world. One analyst calculations estimates that it takes about $3,000 to save a child's life. So in one year, Matt saved 30 lives. Now despite the cries from some of his more idealistic friends who can't believe he works on Wall Street, Matt plans to stay there for the foreseeable future so he can continue to donate at least half of his income every year to organizations he thinks will make the world a better place. He wants his life to make a difference, and he's decided the best way he can do that is to be shrewd and calculating and wise with the gifts and talents he's been given, even if the wealth he accumulates in the process is made by dishonest means. 
Now, like Matt, the manager in our story today also has a calculated plan. And while one might argue his motives are selfish, he wants to make sure he gets work again, his scheme, his plan, does improve, vastly improve, the lives of those in town. After weighing his options, the manager calls in each of the master's debtors in private, one by one, and has them reduce their debt in the books, in their own writing. Now, he's able to do this because they don't know yet that he's been fired. It's a private firing that hasn't yet gone public. And in that time in between, this shrewd steward, this shrewd manager, is having each person who owes debt reduce their debt. Of course, people are thrilled by this. Who wouldn't be? Some people had their debt reduced by half. Imagine the bank called you tomorrow and said, that mortgage, (laughs) don't don't worry about it. We're good. He's a modern-day Robin Hood who single-handedly improves the lives of everyone in that village. There's a problem, though. This little scheme is only going to work if the manager has accurately discerned the true nature of his former master. The truth will eventually let out. People are going to find out the whole thing was a sham. And when it does, the manager makes a bet. The manager makes a wager. And it's not a bet on his talent or his resources. It's not a bet on the kindness of his friends. It's not a bet on karma. It's a bet on his master's generous spirit. The steward gambles everything in the story on his firm conviction that even when his former master finds out that he's been hoodwinked, he won't undo the good work that has been done. The dishonest manager's only hope for redemption, for salvation in this community, is to trust in the unqualified, unregulated mercy of his master. And it's this generous view of his master that's the foundation for his complex pyramid scheme that prompts the master in the story to commend his former manager for his shrewdness. The manager lies and cheats to make his master look good. And the master allows this to go unpunished because he'd rather be known as generous than just. He'd rather be known as somebody who loves to forgive a debt than to end a really good party. On the cover of your bulletin is a napkin. It's actually a picture of a napkin. Take a look at it real quick. I saw this image this week in a recent New York Times article, and it struck me. It fit the sermon pretty well. In the article, the case is made that in order to experience true freedom in life, One has to learn to embrace uncertainty. True freedom comes not from planning your future, but to acknowledge that no one knows how it's going to work out. All too often, when faced with an uncertain future, with a decision that's before us, we try to make the best decision by looking back at the decisions of our past, both the good and the bad decisions. We look back and try to figure out the best way forward by gauging how our decisions played out in present time. And while this seems like a really good idea at the time, it's often an exercise in futility. Because when we look back at our decisions, we give too much credit to the good ones and we give too much importance to the bad ones. In both cases, I think overvaluing, overestimating our ability to affect the outcomes of our future. 
We're smart, intelligent people in this room. We don't like to be reminded of it, but in today's story, we are. But no amount of planning or good decision-making or preparation or resources or savings will ensure our salvation. One day we are on top, and the next day, due to bad luck, incompetence, or simply an honest mistake, everything changes, just like that. And what is truly remarkable to me in this story is that despite his propensity for dishonesty, the manager of the story understands this reality. He understands, deeply understands, that the only way to navigate the inevitable ups and downs of his life in that community is to trust fully and deeply in the generosity of his master. The story is not about money or how we use it. Like the parables that come before it, I believe this story is about the God, the nature of the God that we worship and serve. It's really hard for us to internalize because we're good people who try to do the right things. But we worship a God who is so much more pleased when we are faithful and bold and creative than when we're good and righteous and sure. God loves it when we face an uncertainty and act boldly and generously and even a little foolishly, especially when that boldness and generosity and foolishness comes from a deep and abiding trust in God. The manager bets on the kindness of his former master, and as a result, he comes out on top, and life is made better for everyone in that place. So a question for you. What would it look like for you right now in your life to bet on God? What would it look like for you to wager everything on the generosity of the one you worship and serve, and not on your talents and your resources and your wisdom, How would your life change if you worried less about doing the right thing, whatever that is, and focused more on God's propensity for mercy and grace? Would you take more risks? Would you work a little less, maybe? Would you give more away of yourself and your resources? Would you have a little more love for that wayward child or that annoying person at work or that difficult member of your family? How would you live differently if you bet everything on God? I believe that every single day, by our choices, and often the smaller choices have more impact, by our choices every day, we create an image of God that dominates our imagination. And as this story and the stories that come before it teach us, the God that we create in our minds doesn't match the God that's out there. The God of the world that we live in is far less exacting and precise and stringent than the God we imagine God to be. In fact, one can make a case based on this story and the three stories that come before it that God is forgiving and generous and kind and merciful and loving to a fault. It's a character flaw of the one we worship and serve. The dishonest steward understood this and he was praised for his shrewdness, for his calculation, for his bet. He was praised for his willingness to wager his entire life, his entire future, on the kindness of his former master. 
you will be faced with uncertainty, some of you by 3 o'clock this afternoon. Guarantee it. The next time uncertainty comes, bet on God. Go all in. See what happens when you actually trust that these promises we talk about Sunday after Sunday are true. Bet on God. You have absolutely nothing to lose. Amen.